the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed. And I, I want you to know I get the thinly veiled remark there. They're the longest-running, yeah, translation, he's just an old guy. <laughs> I wear the badge with pride. Good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good to have you with us for this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Fifth day of April. Lots of territory to cover today. So let's get down to cases. If I asked you, what's the fastest growing religion or faith in the world? You might answer, well, of course, it's Christianity. I mean, after all, isn't the Bible still the number one selling book on the planet? Or you might say the fastest growing religion is Islam particularly because of the huge birth rate being contributory to its growth. But if, well, what if I told you that in reality, at least in the Western world, the fastest growing faith isn't Judaism nor Islam, not even Christianity. The fastest growing faith, in fact, is no faith at all. A new documentary explores this disturbing, if not eye-popping trend in Irreligious Nation. Joining me now are producers and hosts, well-known certainly for their roles in Hollywood, television, and film, Kevin and Sam Sorbo. And welcome to the both of you. Thanks for carving some time to be with us tonight. This is a, an important conversation that we ought to be having, and uh, so we're excited to be bringing this film to people to at least get the conversation started. And, and, and toward that end, Sam, you've got a, a stellar record of being passionate about education. In fact, you've, you've homeschooled your children and understanding bringing truth to the forefront critically important and, and sadly truth today seems to kind of be on the the endangered species list which i suppose in part is what's contributory for why we've seen this this significant drift away from uh, what should we call it the faith of our fathers well yeah i mean it's a, it's a drift away because we are distracted in our in our institutions of uh, of learning, let's say I don't think that they're actually institutions of learning. I think they're institutions of distraction. I'm speaking primarily about government schools, uh, but schools in general. And if you're not teaching the Bible, you're not teaching one of the best history textbooks that we have. Um, and if you're ignoring the Bible, then what you're doing is you're training children to disregard religion. And so it's no wonder that irreligion is the fastest growing religion in the in the nation today. Uh, but you know what's ironic about this, Kevin? The, the fact that this doesn't necessarily suggest that there's any less of a yearning, a yearning or a desire of mankind to want to have a sense of belonging, being, connectivity. Uh, they may not be able to articulate it in relationship with our Creator, but at the end of the day, we know certainly from a biblical, biblical perspective, that's exactly what it is. So it isn't as if somehow the interest in having 
having that connectivity is way. It just seems as if people are looking in many other directions, be it Eastern religion, alternative religions, or, or in a sense, no religion at all, which I suppose in and of itself takes an awful lot of faith to not have any faith. I said, if you are a person that's an atheist, that's probably the strongest faith you can possibly have and believe in absolutely nothing. It's sad. I mean, I deal with it. A lot of people like that all the time. I get people walking up to me all the time saying, hey, you know, I know you're a Christian. I saw one of your movies. I thought it was okay. I don't believe the way you believe. But, um, you know, it, it was interesting. It was about four years ago. I took uh, Sam and the kids. We went to Europe. We spent a month over there. I had three different appearances I had to do. And uh, I said, let's make the trip for the kids. Well, we're traveling through Europe. You talk about a place that's losing its religion. All these three, four, five hundred year short churches now are even museums, or they've made them into bars and discotheques. And uh, it, it, it's really unbelievable the amount of agnostic and atheism uh, people that now live on that continent, but it's happening certainly here. You see the numbers, but I'll tell you one of the blessings of COVID was a lot of people were filled with fear because the government loves using that as their favorite weapon against us. But people were scared and people started going into the internet by themselves or with their families when everybody was supposed to lock down and shut down. And they started looking at different churches and different religions and started sort of reaching out to try to find answers and some kind of hope because I think hope is one of the biggest things that's missing out there. I've always said the biggest enemy of America right now is apathy, but I think a lot of people are starting to wake up, so I'm hoping there's a great revival happening here very soon. You and Sam literally traveled to the Holy Land, other key spots to engage in interviews and gather some first-hand observation as to where these trends are happening and, most importantly, why. Kevin, from your experience in your conversations, what was some of the biggest takeaways that sort of surprised you in what's driving this trend away from um, not only historical, traditional religion overall, but in specific Christianity? Well, I think what's driving it away is, is the culture today, is what Hollywood's doing, is what the mainstream media is doing. I, I, you, you see the movies they put out, uh, the television shows they put out, and a lot of them are just filled with violence and sex and anger and uh, disrespect for their fellow man. Um, I, I just... I, that's why I keep doing the movies that I do. I want to do movies that have a positive influence on people instead of a negative, and I'm going to keep making those kind of movies. Um, it's just, it's, it's been an interesting road for me, and these trips to Israel have been very therapeutic in a lot of ways, because I met a lot of pilgrims there. I met a lot of people over there that are also looking for answers. We met people that weren't really religious yet, didn't really, they, they don't deny that Jesus existed and walked on this planet, but there, it, it was good to see so many people that were on a, a, on a mission, on a search. I was just back there last year again to do another documentary, which we'll talk about next year uh, when it comes out. But, um, it was uh, it was interesting. It was it was a through archaeological digs we were following and tracing the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle, and Sam came along on that trip as well. And we're about to go back over with a large group of people here at the end of May. So yeah, it's a good journey. I will say that the documentary follows the the sixty some odd people that we had on this trip, mm-hmm. and and it shows how they were changed by seeing actual historical sites and experiencing the historiosity that, that exists in Israel, which you can't find anywhere else, and being you know confronted face-to-face with the actual places where Jesus walked and ministered and, and all of that. And so I, I'm hoping that the takeaway when people watch this film is that it, it just draws them a bit closer. 
draws them a bit closer to faith, draws them a bit closer to the Bible. Maybe they'll open their Bibles. Maybe they'll go to church instead of not go to church. And, and really, just to draw them closer, we are being divided right now. We are living in a culture that seeks to divide us. You have your truth, I have my truth. That's absolutely ridiculous, and yet this, this is the culture that we're living in. There is no such thing as a personal truth. There is one truth, and, and Goethe said it the best. He said, the truth is a very narrow path, and stupidity is a never-ending jungle, and ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the jungle these we're days. On the jungle. And so uh, so I'm hoping that this film just does a little bit to, to assuage that and create the conversation and create the conversation well and and certainly we here in san francisco you guys in hollywood were both kind of a ground zero so to speak from one end of the state and the other uh for truth being on the endangered species list but sam you just mentioned something a moment ago that i think it's important to highlight the notion of exposure whether we're exposing our children to scripture history archaeology all of the abundant evidence that is before us for the veracity of scripture the creation story who jesus is why he came to be etc etc which leads me to wonder you know there's been i think sometimes an error that parents have either taken sort of a, a casual approach to faith not wanting to be overbearing when it comes to teaching their children and and just sort of hoping that they'll find their own pathway but it seems to me in light of these alarming trends that the the matter of sharing our faith and educating our children in such matters can't be casual. It needs to be quite intentional, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think that if you look, we, we are in a culture right now that says, oh, children can decide what gender they are at the age of five and that they should be trusted and, and we should learn from them. That's absolutely ridiculous. That's child endangerment. That's, that's child abuse, frankly. And so, yeah, I'm very much for um, raising your children in the way they should go, which is their worldview, their faith, and the idea that we think that somehow you can glean an education and ignore the Bible at the same time is ridiculous. I'm putting people on notice, especially Christian families. If you are sending your children to government schools, you are educating, you are training them to disdain and disparage your beliefs. And that's a very dangerous game to play. You will not hold on to those children in the future. We're seeing that play out even, even to, you know, more today than we did before. But this has been going on for decades. And that's why we have the trend in the United States now towards this irreligion, this disregard of spirituality, because we labeled our institutions as learning institutions, educational institutions, and then they ceased to educate us on anything spiritual and by that omission they created this sort of disdain for anything spiritual and now we are a lost culture and so you you grow up and you chase the almighty dollar because that's what you were trained to do in school college prep and career readiness after all and you you, maybe you maybe you don't get the, the the big money and and then you're disappointed and you think well it's just because i didn't get the big money and that's that's the secret to success and success breeds you know brings happiness but but if you do get the big money and you're 60 and you're looking at, you know, the downhill slope and you, you've got all the money, you're still not happy because you have no spiritual life. You have no grounding in reality. And and you're you're looking around, you're going, I did everything they told me to do. Why am I not happy? I've got all the money in the world. Maybe I'll buy a new Ferrari or get a better looking pool boy. But none of that's going to bring you happiness or hope. <laughs> yeah. We only have hope in Christ. 
Well, and perhaps there's a reality disconnect here. Kevin, I'm reminded that one of your earliest and, and arguably one of your most famous roles as Hercules, um, certainly well known for engagement in battle, right? And I, and I wonder if maybe part of the disconnect here is that there are a lot of Americans who maybe around the periphery recognize some of the issues that we're discussing here today, but maybe, Kevin, come to full fruition in understanding that what we're really engaged in here as we talk about the challenges that our fa- children are facing in the public schools, the challenges faced by government, et cetera, et cetera, is that we're, we're really engaged in spiritual warfare here. The problem is quite often we as believers go into that warfare horrifically ill-equipped. Yeah, there's no question. I did a documentary with John Lennox, who's just amazing. And, uh, you know, he's debated Dawkins and Singer and Hitchens, all these very famous atheists of the world. And um, it's called Against the Tide. I highly recommend it. It came out a couple of years ago. And uh, the man, I, I look at this documentary as as um, apologists for dummies like me. And it really helps you gain a lot of, of a lot of weapons, how to defend your faith, defend your belief, defend the existence of God, the existence of Jesus. And uh, John is just uh, he's a dear friend, and it's just amazing the way he handles the questions I ask him. Because I ask him the questions basically agnostic would ask. I don't, I'm not mean with him, I'm mean-spirited, but I'm there sort of as the guide to let him just take over the show, because he's the real star in this documentary. And I always tell people they really need to check that one out as well. You yeah, bet. I mean, we, we aren't armed. The churches aren't arming us, but we are. We have a, a lack of leadership in the church today. And I think that that's, that's in large part because we aren't training leaders. We're training followers. That's that's what our, our you know, school system is intended to do, is to, to create a bunch of followers. Um, and now, certainly, individuals who will follow the government in whatever the government tells them to do. And so we have a, a number in pastorship who are not leading, they're also followers. And that's then then you don't have leadership in the church and you aren't taught to to you know got to guide people and so we 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 are lost sheep. We're lost sheep without shepherds at this point. Yeah, undoubtedly, and and about to head right off the cliff. Well, this this film I think serves as not only a uh, a wake up call, uh, hopefully an early warning that it isn't too late for people to understand the terms of engagement here, uh, to not only get educated but then to exercise their faith um, in a significant fashion and not be sheeple uh, heading off the cliff, as uh, Sam referred to uh, a moment ago. This new film called. Irreligious Nation is available for you to see now. You can check it out online at SalemNow.com. That's SalemNow.com. And uh, it, again, is uh, produced and hosted by Kevin and Sam Sorbo. We appreciate so much, both of you, in your efforts to uh, to bring these issues to the forefront and, and hopefully to, to wake up the sleeping giant, the body of Christ, before ultimately we discover... It's too late. Is it too late right now? No, but we're on the precipice here, I think, as we look at the events of the day and the news that's swirling all around us and what's going on economically, geopolitically, and certainly spiritually, and this alarming trend towards a faith of no faith that we're seeing particularly amongst young people and especially concentrated within the Western world should be a wake-up call for all of us. Irreligious Nation, available at SalemNow.com. You can watch the film through the convenience of uh, your, your online 
online experience at home or wherever uh, wherever you like to consume your uh, videos. Again, at SalemNow.com. Check out Irreligious Nation featuring Kevin and Sam Sarbo. Thanks again to both of you for being with us on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. I had a listener say, now where again exactly can I check out Irreligious Nation? Well, you can do that easily at SalemNow.com. That's SalemNow.com. Okay, let's let's turn a bit of a corner here related to what's going on in the workplace. My, hasn't that changed drastically post-COVID? And we went from all showing up at the office every day and having interconnectivity and human relations and arguments with the cubicle mate next to us that uh, maybe talk too loudly on the phone, whatever the case might be, and then sudden, boom, we're all separated. Everybody's working from home. Well, there's been a steady march toward returning to the workplace and um, in position, in person rather, even if it isn't a, a full five days a week. But I think this suggests certainly that there's there's been some significant changes in how we relate to work. Well, what does this um, this disconnect that we've experienced really mean? And in particular, has it caused damage to our ability to really see our workplaces as a place where we can serve God? You say, no, what, 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 Craig, what did you just, no, 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 you don't understand, Craig, I work in a secular job. So I, I, can't, I don't serve God at work. I, I do that on the weekends. I volunteer at church. I teach a Sunday school class. That's where my service to God takes place. During the week, well, I just show up and collect a paycheck. Or should there be more to it than that? Well, my next guest, I think, would argue a, a resounding yes, there should be much more to it than that. In fact, our day-to-day job can be an intersection between our vocational talents, our spiritual gifts, not only to God's glory, but also a great opportunity to engage in marketplace evangelism. Dr. Lowell Buznis is a professor emeritus of entrepreneurship at the University of Oklahoma, co-founder of the Center for Entrepreneurship at Oklahoma, top researcher and best-selling author. And he joins us now to talk about this whole issue of what faith and the intersection of faith and work looks like. And Dr. Buznitz, thank you so much for being with us today. How drastically to the detriment has COVID and the paradigm shift toward reliance upon remote working, technology being harnessed so that we can be there without being there? You know, certainly there have been some entrepreneurs and and business managers that have talked about a disconnect, the lack of human interaction, and therefore a lack of collaboration that perhaps has, has stymied creativity and growth at work, but I'm wondering if there are other ways in which it's also had a deleterious impact. Thank you so much for having me on and, and great, uh, great lead-in. So, yeah, I, you know, certainly COVID kind of upset the uh, the apple cart as we renew it for for so long. Uh, it is, uh, I think, it's opened up. A lot of new avenues. I don't think it's harder uh, to, to bring God to work with us, whether we're working at, at home or, or in the workplace. Interestingly enough, um, 
there's been a great uh, movement of changing jobs called the Great Resignation, and uh, people are moving from one job to another and finding out more about themselves and their their fit for given work. Uh, the whole working at home um, is really interesting, and as you indicated, that's there's a lot of people kind of moving back, but you know some people have done can thrive working uh, by themselves others boy it just doesn't uh, doesn't work and uh businesses are having to grapple with it's kind of uh, changing the equation a lot for them you know when they allow people to work from home all of a sudden there's nobody around the office there are a few people around the office so what does that do and so they're having to change dynamics uh for the social interaction that is needed for for the business, that is needed for people, uh, and to energize them in terms of, of their work. Yeah. Let's uh, kind of dig into this a little bit deeper. I, I alluded to a moment ago the notion that some people tend to try and and create this this wall of separation between the Monday through Saturday life and their Sunday life, and and sometimes it's out of timidity. Sometimes they might feel as if, well, you know, exercising my faith in the workplace. There's policies and rules against that. I I don't want to run afoul of regulations at work or offend anybody, and so we somehow. Manage Manage to compartmentalize our faith, and yet, ironically enough, it, that seems to run contrary into all of the examples we see throughout Scripture. Yeah, and and it's contrary to the God we know, right? <laughs> uh, God is everywhere present. If God is God, He's everywhere present, and uh, and so whether there's uh, increasing hostility. Uh, in the in the workplace, or or um, people are not really allowed to uh, to to say who, who they really are. That doesn't change the fact that God isn't uh, God's presence, and uh, and it doesn't change the work that He wants to to do in those of us who have chosen to to follow Him. Um, and in fact, you know, it's why I called my book Soul Work. I uh, and, and a double meaning on work. I, you know, I, I think that that the workplace is an incredibly uh, valuable place for for us to move forward in our in our relationship with Jesus. Uh, it, it just doesn't um, it doesn't stop <laughs> with Sunday. Um, in fact, I like to characterize it more. And what I wrestled with over my work for so many years was, okay, I really want to integrate my faith and my work as best as I can. But, you know, I, I just had really struggled to get there. I would drive home at night, and I said, evaluate the day, and I said, oh, I never prayed all day today. Maybe I didn't even think about God all day today. Um, and yet, uh, and yet he um, he is there, and he wants to work uh, work in me. And that soul work is, I think, it's not just about taking what we learn in our quiet times. It's not it's not taking what we learn on Sunday and bringing it in the workplace, although it is that. 
but I think it's so much more. I think um, a much more complete model is to is to see it as as God is is already there in the workplace, and He wants to meet you there. Uh, we don't have to take our good works. We don't have to take our our uh, ethical decision making. Um, we want to do that certainly, and if, if we're following Him, and we want to control our mouths, and we want to reach out and touch and and love others as as God puts those in our pathways. Well, and, and you God. talked about this notion of of uh, at work God working in you, but I, you know there, there's also that the secondary notion that God can also work in a, through us at work, and and I'm and I'm curious from your perspective, Doctor. Uh, we look at, for example, the life of Paul, and we know that Paul, in addition to all that he was doing, worked as a tent maker. Now, some people hear that and saying, oh, what a shame. The church didn't pay him a large enough stipend that he could work in ministry full time, and therefore he had to have a side gig <laughs> in order to make ends meet. But I'm wondering if maybe there's some deeper significance in there, that that the fact that he was a tent maker is called out in Scripture that, that maybe gives us a hint, too, of that sense of, of integration, that in addition to being in a way that we can bring home the bacon, so to speak. Uh, I'm wondering if, too, maybe part of the message is the opportunity of God using us in our work and work serving in a fashion as a form of worship. Now, some people hear that and go, oh, my goodness, sacrilege, but but maybe not so. Give us some, shed some light on that. Oh, my, all those worship. There's this word in the Old Testament that's used um, uh, like over 150 times. The word is avodah. That's the Hebrew word. Sometimes it's, in English, it's translated service. Sometimes it's translated work. Sometimes it's translated worship. Same Hebrew word. And and in the uh, Old Testament, and in uh, when God uh, told Adam to work the garden, uh, that's the first time that uh, Avodah is used. Uh, and I think that that when we see work, that God is already at work, and that He is waiting to meet us there. Uh, and then when we see his thumbprints <laughs> as we go about our work in a variety of different ways, and we can talk about that, but when we see him, what what happens when we see God? <laughs> we want to get on our knees and worship him. It's like, wow, I just came face to face with a thumbprint of God here and work in something that is um, magnificent about his creation that my work delves with in, from multiple angles and, uh, and uh, I get to because of my work uh, it can be a prompt to, to fall on our knees and worship him and uh, that good soul work in, uh, in my speak 
If you've just joined the conversation, we are visiting today with Dr. Lowell Wuznitz. He is the author of Soul Work. We're taking a look at this this intersection between work and ministry and the notion of worshiping God through our work and also what it means to be engaged in a broader sense in so-called workplace evangelism. Let's take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Learning how to break down that barrier, so to speak, that exists between the sacred and the secular, that great divide between our Monday through Saturday life versus our Sunday life, the important focus of a new book called Soul Work, written by my guest tonight, Dr. Lowell Buznitz. Dr. Buznitz, I'm curious, you know, we, we talked a bit earlier about the notion of... of um, seeing work as a way in which we can also engage in worship and so often I will talk to people and they will say well you know I'm, I'm looking for my vocation my calling and ministry I'm not lucky like my pastor is who has a pulpit or so and so who teaches Sunday school or you Craig on the Christian radio uh, I'm, I'm still searching to try to find mine now they may be enormously talented and gifted in significant ways but they failed to see sort of the, the blending of their vocation talents and their spiritual gifts, and they've also perhaps failed to see ways in which God can indeed use them right where they're planted to engage in effective ministry right there in the marketplace, which, you know, the irony is there's a significant percentage of believers for whom that describes who they are as opposed to the to the, the sliver full of people that are involved in so-called full-time ministry. How can people better understand not only what they're calling in vocation is, but how those blend together in their day-to-day work life. Yeah. I have a, I have a chapter, actually, in the book on, on giftedness, uh, chapter, chapter five in the book, and, and, and uh, bring your giftedness to work. Um, you know, and maybe sometimes we get bogged down and, well, I don't know if I have this gift or, or that gift, but, but you know, whether it's a gift, whether it's a talent, whether it's skills and capabilities that, that your employer has invested in you and has, has seen some life in you that, that you really do some things well, I think those in and of themselves are incredible windows of opportunities for for finding God and uh, discovering Him. And I, I think when we when we are able to um, to discover some of who God is in our in our giftness and our skills and capabilities, amazing things happen. I worked before I became a professor. I was a contractor, uh, owned my own company, and and uh, did a lot of home building and cabinet building and so forth. And for some reason or another, to illustrate this, I became fascinated with woods, different kinds of woods, and it's like, okay. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, if you're building cabinets, you know, you got it. All right, do you want an open grain wood? Do you want a closed grain wood? Do you want a busy grain or a more modest grain? Do you, uh, what about the, the hardness of the wood? You, you use, you need, usually need to use hardwoods. If you use softwoods, they get dinged up quickly and, and so forth. And I remember at some point, wow. You know, some woods are are very tolerant to to weather conditions, and uh, and other woods are 
very have great structural properties, but you use them in a place like outdoor steps where they get exposed to the weather, they rot <laughs> in two, three years. Um, and I, it, somewhere along the way uh, in this journey for me, I started, wow, can you imagine God in all his goodness, how he created all these different trees? He didn't create just two trees or three different kinds of trees. Um, my goodness, even pine trees, there's multiple different kinds of pine trees and, and what they, uh, and their properties. And Craig, I remember arriving <laughs> to church on Sunday morning and being in church on, on worship. And sometimes I just felt like, man, I just want to <laughs> cry out and worship to my God for all the different kinds of wood he used. I, because he showed me uh, a bit of his thumbprints in these different woods and 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 things that they're good for and and where they don't work so well and and uh, the complementarities between the different kinds of woods and I just you know that's the hand of God the thumbprint of God if you please and uh, uh, and his great father so I um, I actually in that faith and work area here when we talk about our faith and work area we typically think about Sunday to Monday as a common line that we use uh, and and that's good but I also think that Monday to Friday to Sunday is also very good and accurate uh, and what, what God would want uh, and, and does want um, I think it's why I think because of the uh, uh, time that we spent at work uh, and how how involved we typically get with work, whether it's 40, 50, 60 hours a week, um, that, uh, that seeing him in that is just amazing. And I think that's why Jesus, so many of his parables reach back into the workplace. Think about that. Go back. You know, the, the business uh, developer who was building the building and got it half built and ran out of money. And, uh, and, and he tells that parable or the parable of the seed sower, the farmer out sowing seed in the different soils or the workers in the vineyard. Um, or a, a non-parable, but another example is actually the, the woman at the well. She was a water gatherer every day. She came there and gathered water. And what does Jesus do? He reaches out to her and asks her a drink of water. And through her work as a water gatherer, he explains to her the water of life, the living water. And, you know, I think it should also be not lost on no one. As you were sharing that, uh, Doctor, I thought, isn't it interesting, too, that throughout Scripture, as we see the profiles of these tremendous men and women of faith, uh, we think about the authors of the Gospels. We think about the 12 disciples. 
They were all identified based on not their degrees of tremendous faith or understanding of Jesus' words or capacity to have memorized scripture. Rather, they are identified by what their professions were. And I think seeing that crossover, that intersection between the sacred and the secular, and understanding that oftentimes our vocational talents and our spiritual gifts can and should blend together, and that our our workday service can indeed be service unto him with amazing results, but so so much of it depends entirely upon your own sense of perspective. The book is called Soul Work. My guest today, its author, Dr. Lowell Busnitz, Professor Emeritus of Entrepreneurship at the University of Oklahoma. Available on the web, check out the usual suspects, including Amazon.com. And Dr. Busnitz, thank you so much for being with us tonight. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If I describe to you an environment where there's nothing but turmoil, tension, stress, seemingly every moment you can rarely capture a a nanosecond of peace when everybody seems to be getting along. There's yelling and fighting and doors being slammed and arguments going on and kids acting out, misbehaving. And it goes sometimes even beyond the behavior in the home to the behavior in the school It's destructive behavior. It's behavior that might include association with gangs. And one too many telephone calls either made to or received from the police department. Growing numbers of families, particularly so in the inner cities, are experiencing the challenges of parenting in the 21st century. But does that necessarily mean that you give up hope? Well, certainly the answer is no. But then the other question becomes, how do you go about gaining the necessary skills to raise a challenging child in challenging times? You know, oddly enough, when you think about all the life skills necessary and the important tasks that you'll ever engage in in the totality of your life, whether you might be the president of an important bank, run your own corporation, whatever it might be, you'll do nothing more important than raise kids and prepare them to become successful adults in life, both in the terms of the way the world measures success, family, having a home, having a good job, and most importantly, from a spiritual standpoint. All that said, don't you wish they came with manuals? Isn't it be nice if once the doctor says, congratulations, Mr. Smith or Mrs. Jones, here's your, your bouncing new baby boy and girl, and here's a copy of the manual, and <laughs> but it just doesn't work that way, does it? But in fact... There are insights available, and there are tools and resources that are out there that if you're already a parent dealing with that messy situation I described a moment ago, there are places that you can go to learn the necessary skills, not with the idea of changing your kids, but changing you first and foremost. And as you change, then God in turn can work through you to see a life change in those kids. Joining me now in studio is Vern Tyler, certainly no stranger to the KFAX microphones down through the years. For many, many years, he and his lovely wife, Judy, ran Hosanna Homes, and now they've they've taken a new direction in terms of, of ministry. It's now called Hosanna Pathways, and it really comes down down to uh, Vern Tyler, equipping parents with the kind of skills that they really need to become successful at parenting. And it's so desperately needed. Um, We, uh, over the years, of course, Judy and I have uh, foster parented over 800 kids, so we had a pretty extensive experience. Uh, Our three biological children and our uh, uh, grandchildren 
Um, and thankfully, uh, half of those children, or half the children, and half my grandkids now are in full-time ministry. Wow. So, um, you know, God has been very gracious with the Tyler family and has given us some direction with regard to ministry, and I think it's been very effective. So we're trying now to kind of migrate away from the foster care side and uh, provide support for families that need to learn parenting skills. There has to be something that uh, down through the years you and Judy learned in uh, helping to uh, to rear uh, over 800 kids along with your own three biological children um, that can be passed on to other parents out there, many of whom say, you know, I've, I've tried everything and it just seems to be a battle of the wills and it runs the gambit. It can be the the misbehaving, back-talking five-year-old or the 18-year-old who does nothing but slam doors and get in trouble with the police. And, Craig, you know, I think the environments in which we're raising our children, I'm going to say both the church and the family, we don't understand the significance of um, our behavior, what we expect of our children. Uh, so in the end, our kid, our, in the process, our children are very confused. They don't see the reality of their faith. Um, it's a very shallow experience. But I see in families, we turn to professionals. We don't think that we can handle some of these things on our own. So we're missing some of the basics. Even in churches, the majority of churches, particularly your mega churches now, Children's church, I think, has been the worst thing in the modern church that has ever happened because we separate families. Children go to their church. Adults go to their church. I find it amazing, just this last year, in our church we had a Sunday where we had all of the teachers and everybody take a leave of absence, if you will, and bring all the children into the congregation. It was very peaceful. But the amazing thing that I saw was after the church, I was wanting to greet some of these families that were around me and encourage them to say, you know, how uh, grateful I was to see them sitting as a family in main church. And I wanted to introduce myself to those children that were around. They didn't even know how to introduce themselves to me. They look up at their parents and say, what do you do? And I have my hand extended. This is a confusion that's out there. These are the things that when we wonder why 70, 80% of our kids leave within a short period after graduation, um, because they're not invested. They have not experienced something. Well, and there's a point, too, that you make. You you made comment a moment ago, Vern, about uh, uh, the notion of what, what we as parents expect of our children. And if, if I were to poll everybody listening right now and say, you as mom, you as dad, what do you expect of your children? They would come off with a laundry list immediately. Do your homework, get to school on time, be respectful, don't talk back, be honest, gone on and the list goes. We never take the time to ask ourselves a more important question, and that is, what do our children expect of us? And one of the, the issues I think here is, is we were raised as, uh, our parents raised us with a so-called issue of, quote, unquote, control. Parents are expected to control their children. And one of the things that I work with very closely or, or very uh, emphasize very, very strongly with a parent project is we don't control children. We control their things. Now, that distinction has to be developed. I can't do that necessarily here on the radio. But the idea is 
uh, if you try to control children, you're going to be punitive in nature. That just seems to be the automatic way that you go. And I think deep down at a certain point, parents begin to realize you really can't control that. That's right. It's a feeling. And at process. the end of the day, they're going to wind up controlling you. And you're going to aggravate. You're going to compound the situation. Uh, so you learn how to, if, if you just kind of stop it and think of it in this concept, you and I, we work every day. Why do we work? Because we're motivated to work. We get a paycheck. Uh, if we're an actor, we're, we've got a reputation. For an athlete, we've got a reputation. Uh, that is a motivating factor for us. We have to understand what the motivating factor of our children is. And it's the things they enjoy doing. Their iPhone, TV, their video games. Use those in a constructive way. Control their items and tell them flat out, I don't control you, I can't control you. You and I know in our growing up, every day we would do things that our parents would not approve of. Mm-hmm. Every day. Our children are no different. So we've got to understand the nature of our children, and we have to understand that we cannot control them. We can influence them, and that's what we work at. Every parent listening right now who is dealing with one aspect or another or multiple aspects of the laundry list that I cited a few moments ago, again, acting out, it could be the gambit of alcohol abuse, criminal behavior, destructive behavior to self and others, on and on the list goes. Every parent is saying, Vern, if I only had an answer, if there was only something I could do to change my son or daughter. When we come back after a timeout, we'll talk about that. Can you actually do something to affect change in them? And if so, what is that? Is it ultimately a child behavior problem or is it a bigger problem? A brief timeout back with more as Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 